I don't think I've ever lived through such a turbulent period in supply chain logistics. A shockwave, really. You know, my immediate reaction was, how am I going to protect my clients? We have this set of logistics tools in front of us. Our ability, really, to turn around products quickly allows us to cut time, cost and carbon out of supply chains. And that's created a much more competitive environment. Can't just try and undercut somebody by pence, there has to be value in what we're offering. The client really comes to you for advice, consultation. We're making a difference to their business. That lifelong value in terms of trust, which is something that you develop over time, and that you cannot put a value on that. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Inspiring Industry Podcast, where we share conversations with leaders from around the globe. Today is an especially exciting episode because we are here on site at Delamode International Logistics, the expert in fast-moving consumer supply chain. I'm joined by Mike Thomas, the Client Services Director, and Joanne Gumry, the Sales and Marketing Manager. Thank you both for taking the time to speak with me today. Great pleasure. Thank you. Today we'll be taking a look at a few of Delamode's specialties, but we're also going to be looking at industry challenges, what it looks like in a post-Brexit era, um, and what makes Delamode the go-to company to overcome those issues. Um, but before we get into the good stuff, I'd like to turn over to Mike. Um, could you talk me through some of the company's history, a couple of milestones that have brought you to where you are today? Absolutely. Well, the story starts way back 40 years ago, actually, for Delamode. Uh, they were heavily into freight forwarding and trucking between the UK and continental Europe. Really cut their name, actually, in fashion logistics and became very specialised in that area. Um, logistics is one of these kind of nebulous, loose terms, but it's, it can cover the whole gambit of transport, freight forwarding, warehousing. But Delamode in those days, and until quite recently, actually, have been most well known for forwarding and transport. Um, some pallet network distribution across the continent of Europe as well. Uh, it wasn't until 2018 that uh, Delamo decided that they would like to strategically look at um, acquiring a logistics, pure logistics arm in terms of warehousing. And um, in those days we um, it was Import Services, was the, the company that had this little portfolio here in Southampton and developed quite a successful business and they spotted that, this unique location right next to the container port in Southampton. There's no other facility like this in the UK or indeed that close across continental Europe. And um, the acquisition took place by the end of uh, 2019 and uh, Import Services was assimilated into Delamode in those days and we set about um, really boosting the logistics arm of, of the company. Um, and it's been a fascinating sort of period since then in terms of its assimilation and development into new sectors from now on. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you, Mike. And um, am I correct in saying that you joined Delamode in 2005? Yes, it was in those days it was uh, Import Services. Yeah. It was a company that Delamode acquired in due course and I was a shareholder director of that company and grew it from a very small offering 
to, um, to about 30 million sales and uh, then Delamode acquired that business. And um, I mean, kind of with that, could you tell me a little bit more about your career history and sort of how you got into logistics? Yeah, very much so. So I've always been in logistics. I took a degree in it way back when. Yeah. Um, in those days that you could find that companies like the P&O Group sponsored uh, students through a uh, university that had passion to go into a, a certain discipline. Um, I did that. It's a four-year degree course, three academic years and one in industry where I spent in France mainly. Um, so my language skills improved. And um, after that, P&O uh, took me on board to, uh, to join their special projects unit, a logistics division, which um, was quite impressive because I was straight out of uni and obviously from an academic background, then went to a practical background. And they, uh, in short order, asked me to go and work on a logistics project in Saudi Arabia. A very exciting, pioneering uh, period of uh, building the port of Jeddah and all the logistics around that development. Um, from there, North Africa and uh, Far East and into the States. So they really put me around from a logistics perspective and got a great grounding in international transport as well. Following that, I joined um, Inchcape. Lord Inchcape was the chairman of both P&O and uh, Inchcape in those days, and I moved into the Inchcape part of the business as uh, marketing and sales manager for Europe for a number of warehousing projects, starting in Germany from greenfield sites, building there in Holland, and then finally into France, where I stayed for 10 years, brought my family up and developing uh, businesses there as well in France. Came back to the UK and spotted an opportunity with uh, this quite small company at the time. It was only about three million turnover. I joined as a, a director shareholder and built the business up to finally selling it in mid-18, joining the Delamode uh, board at that point, and have been there ever since, integrating the business and growing it. Awesome, awesome. And Joe, on your side, you're one of the newer faces at Delamode. That's yeah. brilliant. Could you tell me a little bit more about how you came to join the company? Yeah, sure. Um, so my background is marketing, so that's what my degree is in. Um, but when I graduated, it was 2008, which was um, a recession in the UK, so not many marketing jobs available. Uh, lots of sales jobs, though. Um, and I ended up as a, a salesperson for a parcel firm, so completely accidentally into the industry, which is the case yeah. for quite a lot of people. Um, so I was at the parcel firm for about 12 months. And then shortly after joined um, Paul Ponsonby Limited, which is a small uh, family-run firm in Birmingham that offers warehousing and distribution. Uh, working for a smaller firm was actually the best thing I could have done because I was able to get involved in so many different parts of the business, um, work my way around different job roles, sales, marketing, account management, ISO implementation, um, you know, various different ones, but also was able to be quite close with the <coughs> environmental areas, health and safety, HR. So it gave me a really good um, understanding really of how a warehousing business is run. Yeah. Uh, my final role there was a commercial role, so helped the business to double in size, become more profitable, uh, stable. But then, you know, it kind of was like, well, what's the next step for me? Um, so I ended up then taking a role at a global logistics company, um, was there for about a year, and then was looking for something in between. So not a small family-run business, not a global one, something, I suppose, on the larger side of the SME. Um, a company that was a bit more forward-thinking in terms of technology, environmental, uh, customer account management, 
And Mike and I are actually on the UKWA board together. That's the UK Warehousing Association. And we'd known each other for maybe seven or eight years at that mm. point. Um, and we just had a conversation, didn't we, one day at an award ceremony? It was, it was great because uh, <laughs> I just stepped up as chairman of the, of the board. Actually, it's a, it's a pretty big organisation. It's 100 million square foot, it's about 1,000 members, and mm. it's the voice of the UK warehousing industry. And uh, Joe's been on, on the managing board as well. We just struck up a conversation. I'd known Joe for many years, and I was looking for a new dimension in marketing and sales. And... Joe was the right place at the right time. Yeah. and uh, it was like it was a perfect fit, wasn't it, was it really? Excellent. Um, yeah. And I think what's, what's really amazing when mm. you take a job like that is that you don't feel so daunting coming into the new environment because I'd been here before as well. Mm. I'd visited the new site when it was um, right. first built. So I'd met the team, I'd been to the site, I knew Mike. Um, so when the job opportunity sort of came through, it was, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. And to be able to blend sales and marketing works really well. Um, they absolutely go hand in hand. So to be able to be responsible for both functions um, was exactly the next step for me. And thank you both for sharing that. Um, I would love to talk about the sort of state of the logistics industry at the moment. And in many ways, it is influenced heavily by a lot of geopolitical circumstances. Um, could you talk me through how you guys are experiencing that? how it's affecting you and sort of what the industry challenges are as a whole, whether that does include Brexit, what that looks like for you um, and sort of what's going on in the wider scope of the industry as well. Sure. I've been in the industry for goodness knows over 30, getting on 40 years. And um, I don't think I've ever lived through such a turbulent period in supply chain logistics since I started my career. Um, that's really came about through Brexit initially. And back in 2016, when that vote took place, you know, my immediate reaction was, how am I going to protect my clients? How are we going to keep those supply chains open into what I could see being a really difficult period uh, where we'd been very privileged on the side of continental Europe. We had a great uh, trade position with uh, continental Europe and we also had a, a pricing advantage too and all of that was about to unravel for us as we went into the Brexit situation so um, we'll tell you a bit about later how we how we beat that but winding through from Brexit then we had the you know the, the huge ramifications from the Ukraine uh, war and the price of energy and uh, Brexit really brought the whole problem of resourcing and people and skills. Um, Ukraine war brought a different set of challenges which would be pricing based and cost based and um, a shockwave really through in terms of having one minute way too much uh, demand for the supply in the UK and then suddenly a, a, a roller coaster as the PPE flooded back out leaving a huge um, sort of void in terms of warehousing uh, capacity in the UK, which is in excess of demand at this point in time. And then contending with those two huge waves, we now have a series of crises going on, which is actually a pretty dangerous period in the Middle East, um, which we're all aware of. But then the direct impact on that is again global supply chains. So the, the Red Sea, uh, Suez Canal, the movement of 
deep sea shipping, which is our lifeblood in terms of FMCG into UK and continental Europe, is being uh, elongated, stretched. Costs are now going to start rising again for shipping into our territories, and hence um, we could be in for another period of instability. I don't know how that's going to play out currently. We've got elections in the States. We've got elections in the UK. Um, it's, a, it's a really turbulent period just at the point where we thought we'd overcome this and we were into some clear, clear blue water, but we're not quite there yet, obviously. Yeah, and then you've also got the fallout from COVID as well. Mm. So COVID um, was a huge spike for many B2C operations. Um, on the e-commerce side of things, certain industries, uh, DIY, beauty, anything in the home really, really boomed. And so quite a lot of companies expanded, took on more space. Um, and now what we're seeing is that those volumes are settling back down combined with the issues that Mike's just mentioned. And it does mean that there is more space available throughout warehousing businesses in the UK. And that's created a much more competitive environment. Um, and then off the back of that, there is more challenges around cost base. So the cost base for warehousing companies, um, the energy that you just mentioned, but also the national living wage, which um, increases every year. So we've sort of got this cost base that's rising. There's a lot of space available in the UK. So it's how do we retain our customers um, and how do we secure uh, new business for growth? So that's probably one of the biggest challenges. I'd agree. And taking that into consideration, could you tell me about sort of what makes Delamode special? How are you able to look after your clients in an era where, like you said, Mike, it is incredibly turbulent at the moment? Mm. I think what we do that makes us totally unique, actually, is uh, there's two things, really. One is our absolute focus on clients and client relationships that we've developed over years with Import Services and subsequently with Delamode. Uh, I think Delamode's culture is really important, the way it, um, it really develops its values and it practices those values uh, and enacts them. Um, and I think also we have this set of very fortunate logistics tools in front of us. We've consciously gone out and invested in facilities, very high-grade facilities, and we are going to continue to exploit the position of being right next to a port. And why is that important? Well, we believe two things. One is the speed to market is really key for our clients bringing fast-moving consumer goods into uh, the UK and continental Europe, where we now have this wonderful daily link to our 3PL offering there. And our ability really to turn around products quickly and uh, consolidate orders into the Midlands, into the big retailers, RDCs, allows us to cut time, cost and carbon out of supply chains. And we had independent reviews on that. We work very closely with the University of Southampton and they have showed quite categorically that a port-centric model for FMCG can cut as much as 20% out of a supply chain in terms of carbon emissions. So instead of taking everything from a container perspective into the Midlands, you're devanning here, you're either uh, going straight to store from here, or you're consolidating with other orders to hubs, or you're going under bond, which is uh, hugely advantageous in terms of VAT and duty, and moving those products to a different market, now continental Europe, 
because we are two distinctly separate markets, as we're all aware, <coughs> and taking advantage of that link to our other offering in, in continental Europe. So those things mm. have really defined us, I think, as something very special in the logistics market. Yeah. Absolutely. I'd, I'd also add as well about the investments that we've made um, in a new WMS system. Um, so with the advancements in, in technology moving so quickly, you've got to keep reinvesting in, in your systems and your technology offering. So things like portal access for our clients, um, just making sure that the goods are fully tracked, traceable, full visibility, um, integrations as well. So when you're talking high volume, Things can't be done manually. Everything has to be seamless to make sure that you know the client can focus on their end goal, which is you know selling their product, marketing their product. So we're just trying to make sure that we're able to handle the logistics element of their business um, with ease, really, and provide them with data, not just from the um, system side of things, but you know insights into forecasting as well to help them for planning. And then I suppose the other element is the fact that we're heavily involved with UKWA the uh, Warehousing Association, and they offer a lot of roadshows, a lot of conferences, uh, meetups, roundtables, and that's how we really stay on the forefront in terms of best practice within the warehousing industry. So what's everybody else doing? We liaise with uh, suppliers to the industry as well, you know, what new technology um, is about to come onto the market, and that just allows us to stay uh, right at the front of the trends and best practice. It certainly the gives us a great perspective, it does, doesn't yeah. it, really, from an industry uh, means. And to, to spread that awareness from technology into our, our clients' value, really. So how can we get maximum value? How do we provide solutions which are really going to benefit mm -hmm. against you know, seemingly so many hurdles and so many odds? Uh, we spend our entire focus trying to work out what's best and how we can help. Um, and that's where I think we come into our own. This yeah. technology is, is absolutely a valid point because from a very early stage, we realized that everybody can put a pallet in a rack. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's not rocket science. So what more can you do to do something very different? And we realized that logistics is about information flow. And we did that from a very early beginning. So we spent an enormous amount of time listening to our clients, understanding the type of information they're looking for. And we have built and developed a series of portals and um, real-time information flow that allows us, our clients to really make great smart decisions and that has been defining for us. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. I mean, I'd, I would, I'd love to talk a little bit more about the technology because mm -hmm. it's something that is evolving so quickly. Mm -hmm. So from your perspectives, how do you stay ahead of that? Is it about listening to what your clients need? Is it keeping in tune with the industry or is it a little bit of both? Well, I think economically, you know, a lot of, uh, if you take it back to the macroeconomic scale and start looking at how unproductive we've been as a country, um, because we've been very privileged, we're very bright, um, quite a, a large supply of labor at a relatively low cost for many, many years. Um, if you look at countries like France, for example, where the cost of labor has been extremely expensive, and I should know I've run businesses in France, so I saw that firsthand. You know, their, their investment in automation has, has been uh, quite ahead of us. So if you 
if you now take that as a, an imperative, really, um, we're, we're being forced along that track. But we'd already realized that before the cost push. And what we decided is that we will have to go through a period of adjustment. We cannot um, develop technology um, unless the economics adds up. So there's this transition from very much a labor-based operation to, to a more um, mechanized and then automated process. Now, we're not there into full automation by any stretch, but what we have done is we've put the pillars in, uh, the WMS being one of them, the technology around the forklifts that we use in a very narrow aisle, uh, environment, our ability to dual cycle, our ability to put conveyoring um, in, and uh, the information flow again, the track and tracing is so important all the way through to the point of delivery, which today is, is everything in squaring the circle. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think being um, a 3PL is very challenging on the tech side as well because um, our client base changes. Um, you know, we might take on new clients that have a very slightly different need to what our existing client base has got. So when we're looking at the investment of something, and most contract would have perhaps a three-year, um, a three-year yeah, typically a three-year ro rolling. Yeah, it depends on what the ROI is of that technology. So I think when you've got one warehouse that has one client. Um, it's perhaps less challenging in order to move forward with the robotics and automation, the systems, whereas for an environment where it's ever-changing, um, it, it is more, it is tricky. Okay. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, actually, that's an interesting point because we have cuddly toys in the warehouse, <laughs> um, three-foot-high you know, giraffe, all the way down to a little tiny widget, a piece of electronics. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's that combination yeah. of being able to manipulate it efficiently. There isn't a one-size-fits-all. It's not yeah. a... A series of baked bean cans you've got to actually be quite agile the way you operate Absolutely. moving aside from the technical aspect of the company oh. joanna someone who's been here for a little bit of time <laughs> um i'd love to know how would you describe the company culture did you have like any sort of expectations beforehand and how has that changed over your time at telemode um, so when, when I came for my um, interview with the uh, managing director, so I'd already met Mike and this was to be introduced to Alberto, um, he asked me what my values were, um, to which I replied, um, teamwork being one of them, you know, we've got to all work together. So whether it's finance, operations, HR, sales, we're all on the same team, we're all striving for the same thing. The next one that I said was that we've got to feel really passionate about what we do. So not just coming to work and going through the motions, but having a genuine love, genuine drive for being here and doing, doing the job. Um, and then the third one was uh, value. What value are we offering? Because it's, it's, not, it's not a possibility to sell on price. You can't just try and undercut somebody by pence. There has to be value in what we're offering to um, our client base. And actually, that was the values of the company. So, you know, to actually align that well, um, I, I couldn't believe it really. And so once, once I came on board and we talked more about what the three pillars were and what those values were, there had just been a short project done where, um, where the HR department had asked, the, asked the, the, the staff, what does each of these values mean to you? And I've just jotted a few down actually. So for value, we've got hardworking, for passion, we've got pride and drive. Um, and for one team, we've got respect and understanding. 
Um, and what we try to do now is how can we really embed that into the culture? So there's more signage that's up around the building. Mm. We have focus groups where we talk about, you know, how can we really get this value into our everyday, into our everyday, day-to-day, um, -day, really, into our roles. Um, and the focus group that we did was actually off the back of a questionnaire as well. So to actually ask the staff, you know, what are you feeling in terms of, you know, the environment that you work in, um, the team that you have, the senior leadership team, and I'd not worked for a company before where there was so much communication mm. um, in terms of asking, how are you feeling? But not just asking, but following up on it. So with the focus group and then an email afterwards to say, we've listened, here's what we've actioned immediately. And then a second focus group to then follow up on points that we couldn't quite iron out. So I was, I was blown away, honestly, um, by just how everybody really pulled together and how well everybody communicates. And I think that that is, that is key to a successful business, internal communication um, and working together as one. And Mike, from your aspect as someone on the leadership team, sure. how do you work to kind of facilitate what Joe's been talking about and create that culture where you are listening and sort of making everyone feel included? Well, we've spent a lot of money and time and effort in accreditation. So we brought investors in people into our leadership program from a very early time. And we've been re-accredited uh, successfully, you know, uh, th every three years, time and time again. It's right at the top of our agenda with clients. So our our teams, our people, how we care for them, how we um, take our duty of care so very seriously. We do a lot of internal training, and as Joe right absolutely rightly says, we bring in focus groups from right across the business. It's not a trite term. It's actually folk that want to. Uh, participate, uh, want to put ideas up, and we listen to them very carefully, and we communicate back you know, things that we're doing, uh, we brief um, the teams uh, of developments, of relationships with our clients, and we actively encourage our clients to come to our sites and to meet the teams that are looking after their products day in and day out. You wouldn't imagine that some clients and most of ours tend to be head office um, outside of the UK actually and they totally rely on us as their the last party between something that they've cherished and nurtured and developed to the actual delivery to their customers so we're a vital part of their supply chain but it is quite uh, striking sometimes that you find clients have never been to the warehouse or the logistics outfit but we will always, always make a point of bringing the team here, um, welcoming them, showing them the journey through the business, and then obviously helping them train on the portal and the information and the benefits that we can bring. And it's not just done over a team's meeting or an external visit. We actually embed our clients in the whole psyche and culture of what we do. And then actually, just to build on that, um, so since, since I joined in September, one of the big focuses has been on our social media strategy. So we do loads of really fun stuff at Delamode. We have um, like things for Halloween, for Christmas, we have coffee mornings, we had an Elf on the Shelf campaign at Christmas Which was time, hilarious, wasn't it? That was great which, fun. Which was amazing. But all of this is kind of a little bit hidden. Um, and what, uh, you know, one of the things that I've really tried to do is to show that um, as part of our community on LinkedIn. So not only with our staff, um, and clients that we already have but with industry connections with potential customers and it just gives them a little bit of an insight into the kind of business that we are yeah. um, 
and you know that that it is a little bit fun and you know there's a sort of perception sometimes that particularly warehousing can be a bit dull um, not really very glamorous and we're just trying to portray that actually it's a really exciting environment to work in um, and one of our sort of bigger aspirations as well is about encouraging more of the younger generation into the industry so we're trying to do um, a, a little bit more there really so not particularly for Della mode specific but for industry wide. For the industry as well yeah reach out to schools colleges mm -hmm. and then obviously other institutions like the Chartered Institute of Logistics and Transport and Generation, uh, and Generation Logistics, Logistics is a really mm -hmm. important one for us as well. So we do extend our community and our reach um, yeah. beyond Delamode stores. That's brilliant, guys. That's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. From a lot of what you've said, um, I'm getting the picture that Delamode's focus is um, within the culture very client-centric. So how would you describe your relationships with your clients? I think what we've done, and this is really manifest in the way that referred business comes to us you know extraordinarily we have over 30 percent of new sales prospects have come to us purely through referred business from existing clients our retention rates are very high and uh, we've had some clients over 20 years um, and our average retention rate is about eight years so it's it, it's a very healthy position to be in in that respect I think once clients join us, they realize that there's um, a kind of a, a clinical efficiency and a value drive, but there's also a fun element to it. What we have done through a client services perspective, and I would say that wouldn't I, the client services director, <laughs> but um, we have a first class uh, team of people that all relate to each other, but the front end of that is the client services team. And they reach out you know, through various means of communication, visits, personal teams through the portal wherever but what they are doing is getting under the skin of their clients you know so they become part of the client team they understand their business they understand where that client is going to and really over time friendships are forged and that you cannot put a value on that because that lifelong value in terms of trust which is something that you develop over time is so important through thick and thin and good times and really tough times which let's face it we've all had in supply chain logistics in particular over the last few years so having that strength and that commitment and that trust is everything and that's what we stand for. One of the things that really struck me when I started here was how proactive the client services team were so not just reacting to the day-to-day, -day, the stock levels, the sort of standard QBRs that you might have, but actually them really getting to know the client's business mm. and, you know, what's your 12-month plan? What, are, what new products are you looking at? What new markets are you looking at? And then looking at ways that Delamode can support the business growth. And I think that most of our client base have all grown from where they started to where they are Agreed. today. Yeah, organically, um, so I'd say so. that one of the USPs really with our client services team is supporting the growth of our clients. Brilliant. Um, on a more fun note, <laughs> yeah. I would love to know from both of you, what would you consider to be the most rewarding aspect of your job? Michael, I'll start with you. Gosh, that's a good one, isn't it? Um, the most rewarding for me actually is taking on a, a new client and getting to know them and then I think I mentioned the word trust earlier, to, to bridge or cross that bridge to the point where the client really comes to you for advice, consultation, 
and we're making a difference to their business. I think going through those steps and then eventually having the sort of relationship which is, um, I would say really almost a friendship develops over time and uh, eventually, you know, the, these clients do become friends. And it's, it's that business combination of delivering, which is a given, relentlessly well, but also having the fun aspects that Joe brought in, this community, and the ability to know that, you know, you have their back and they have yours in terms of consistent business growth, etc. So it's creating that wonderful partnership, I think, is the most rewarding for me. Tara, what about you? Yeah, mine's probably a little bit earlier on in the process mm. than that. Um, so sales is a big part of my role. Um, and traditionally, sales can be very challenging, particularly if you're coming at it from a cold perspective. Um, the person that you're trying to contact doesn't know you, doesn't know the company. But actually, being able to be um, persistent, keep going, break down the barrier, eventually start talking. And actually, it's the tipping point of when that perspective is actually really glad that you made contact and you put together a solution for them and they're then saying, you know, that's that's ideal, you know, thank you. So to be able to go from, no, I don't want to talk to you, to be able to get to the point where they're actually really glad that you made contact and you've put together something really valuable for them, that for me is the yes, tick in the box. <laughs> and that's coming into its own yeah. now because we're moving from a quite traditional sectors that we've been involved with, mm -hmm. um, sports and leisure, toys, games and gifts, um, into new sectors like electronics. And, you know, Delamode is not totally widely known in those sectors and therefore breaking down the barriers mm -hmm. comes into its own. And creating that new niche and showing what we can do is, is a huge skill in yeah. itself and that's where Joe comes in. And maybe just one other thing to add on there as well, um, to just really have some fun on the marketing side. So in, in, in December, we did a, an Elf on the Shelf campaign and a lot of our uh, clients got involved with it and we had these elves like in the boxes, on the products, um, just really having some fun. And I think that that really brings to life the relationship as well. The fact that we can put something like that out mm. on our social media. It was media. extraordinary, the engagement, and, wasn't it? Yeah. In, in you know, the numbers, it was just almost went viral around our community and our clients, so it was great, yeah. it was fun. Yeah, so that, that on the marketing side is just mm. amazing. <laughs> and now we're fresh into 2024. We are. So what can your clients look forward to from Delamode this year? Are there any new investments that you can share? Any plans to continue the company's incredible growth? Sure, so key for us this year, two things really. One is the WMS, so warehouse management system that we have spent two years developing, and that goes live very shortly actually, in the next couple of three weeks. Um, what does that do? Well, that brings us from a legacy system which has kept us so so well um, in terms of our operations and <coughs> being able to supply the information I, I talked about. But it is now fairly antiquated and we had to move into a far better, more robust, and I think more easily connected system that's key, um, particularly the, the points that Joe was mentioning earlier. So the WMS, hugely important. The other part of this is investment in efficiency because we will continue our path uh, with our VNA operation. The new system will allow us to uh, provide a lot more productive uh, operations. 
And what we are then moving into is a cycle of share gain. So as we improve our efficiency, we will start to give back. Uh, we've had a period of difficult price increases year after year to cope with the very real effects of Brexit, Ukraine war, as we mentioned, post-pandemic. And now we're at the top, I think, of the zenith of that uh, particular uh, phase. And now we're into technology which will help us drive down the unit costs of operation. The other part to really elaborate on this year is the move on the continent with our great partners EDCR, who we set up in Rusendal in Holland. We are operating a 3PL offering rather like this microcosm within their building. Um, it's, it's great, it's successful. We've moved since Brexit over 60,000 pallets of picked orders on our shuttle, our daily operation that goes from this site to the Rusendal site. And the next iteration is full-blown 3PL pick pack uh, for our clients in Holland, serv serving continental uh, customers right across um, Europe. And to me, that's the next exciting thing for our clients. Everybody's waiting for it. It's contingent <coughs> on the new system going in. We're super excited mm -hmm. about that too. Yeah, that is absolutely going to be a, a growth area for us. Um, I, I suppose really off the back of that, it's um, the new markets that we're going to be going into. So traditionally, very strong in toys, just starting to get into markets like electronics, um, home and, and accessories. Another one would be uh, health and beauty and nutrition. So we're really keen to um, grow our brand awareness within those markets. So what we're doing for 2024 is really investing in our marketing strategy to help support the growth into those new markets. So as well as the EU offering, um, which I think is just fantastic, we're also going to be looking at new markets. And what would you say the vision for the company is on a longer term scale? I think what we will see over time is consolidation of this site. Um, we will grow the Rusendahl offering and I think in due course we'll have a B2C uh, specific site that's much more adept at um, handling um, consumer deliveries. This site is very much geared to a B2B offering. Um, it's relentlessly good at that. We've got 24 doors, uh, containers come in, come out. We can flex from one shift, two shift, three shift, 24-7 if necessary in peak times and but for consumers you need a different form of warehousing layout and a different type of investment so we will at some stage um, acquire or develop into that vein and have a b2c and a b2b offering yeah um, i also think as well um, more of the robotics and automation I think that we've got some um, really excellent um, strides that we've made forward in terms of the WMS, the portal, the uh, VNA, the conveyors that we've got on the um, containers as well. But in order to take that next step into something, um, that's definitely on our agenda in, in the next few years. And the cost of doing that now is, is really quite mm -hmm. acceptable. So you can start in a very small way, islands of robotics. Mm -hmm and just look at the areas where there's still a little bit of too much labour intensive um, drudgery, for want of a better word, and take that out by, by some tactical investments. 
And I think that's, uh, that's a really yeah. strong point that Joe's mentioned there for the future. Yeah, and I think just one, one more as well is, um, so traditionally Delamode is very well known for the freight element and the transport, mm. not so much for the warehousing. I'd like to think that, you know, through various strategies that we've got, that Delamode will become more known um, as, as a warehouse offering as well. I agree. Yeah, we've been very strong in freight forwarding, mm -hmm. international transport. The logistics side, the warehousing um, 3PL, is still in its infancy for, for Delamode, but you know, that's going to change over the next five years, that's for sure. Well, it sounds like there's loads to come and loads of opportunity for the business to continue its growth in the future. For now, yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with both of you, so thank you so much for taking the time today. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> pleasure. This podcast episode is brought to you by Fine Light Media. Inspiring Industry is written and hosted by Danielle Champ. Our sound engineer and videographer is Gavin Mitchell. Lee Prothero is our creative lead, and he's joined by Jamie Alvin, our graphics designer. Rosie Clegg and Sarah Rudge are our digital marketing executives. And we'd like to extend a special thanks to our assistant editor, Mary Float, and our editor, Libby Hammond. The views, information and opinions expressed during this episode are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Finite Media and its team.